0: This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors, and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. This is my my closet hey this is my closet we're closet <laughs> yeah. buddies that's right only the best for for this podcast man you know what's
1: funny is i feel like the whole pandemic situation quarantining has made unprofessional stuff be okay and acceptable because everyone knows you're just in. i mean jimmy fallon is like in his living room you know uh-huh. so like it doesn't matter anymore Yeah, all that veneer
0: <laughs> has been stripped away and now we're just like welcome to reality <laughs> yeah
1: I like it. I hope an element of that continues even after quarantine and stuff because like people are more okay. Like I've been on so many conference calls where my kids are running into the room and stuff and everyone's just like, that's the way it is right now. But Uh I hope an element of that stays.
0: My guest this week is the founder of Brighter Moon Entertainment. He's a producer, writer, and in 2017 debuted his first feature film, an excellent sci-fi thriller called Sightings. Please welcome, Dallas Morgan. So, why don't you tell me a little about yourself?
1: Yeah, so my name is Dallas, and I currently live in Austin, Texas. I have a wife named Taylor. We've been married for 11 years as of last week. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And we have three little kids, four and under. So lots of little children and lots of dirty diapers and all that fun stuff that goes with it. Yeah, so we're, we're in Austin, Texas. I work in film, television, and digital media through my company, Brighter Moon.
0: What did you do before you started working in the entertainment industry?
1: Oh, I went to high school. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, went to, uh, I graduated high school in 2004, and then in 2005, I immediately moved out to L.A. to go to film school. So I went to the Los Angeles Film School and graduated from there in 2006 and immediately went into uh, the film industry. I mean, I started interning at some production companies and then started freelancing in different capacities on uh, some different shoots and shows and uh, in production offices and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I pretty much went from high school, film school. Right into it. Yeah, yeah. Is it
0: safe to say then that you've always wanted to work in movies and TV?
1: Pretty much. I mean, I would say I didn't realize people made movies until I was probably like 12. Before that, I just, I don't know, I just guess they just existed. They just it was, popped into existence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, so when I was probably 12 or 13 is when my brother and I went to Blockbuster Video and rented on VHS the making of Jurassic Park hosted Ooh. by James Earl Jones. Nice. And it was the first time I saw people making a movie and talking about the script and seeing people on set and that was the first time i realized like oh people do this as a job and that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) so yeah from that point on it was just a matter of when can i get to hollywood
0: well you created the film sightings it's a film you wrote directed and produced Mm -hmm. tell me about that film like how did the idea take shape and then how did you take it from concept to production
1: so to set that up, I'll give you a little backstory. I graduated film school in 2006. And when the last part of film school in our career development course, they talked to us about pursuing your career as a filmmaker and said, on average, it takes about 10 years to get into the position you want to be in. That's you know the average they threw out there. I assume that's accurate. I don't know. But in my head, I thought, okay, in that case, I'm going to do it in six. That was like... I'm gonna I'm gonna beat these odds you know I love that but the problem was so I had that fantasy in my head without any actual step-by-step process of how to get there because in my mind as a 19 year old kid in Hollywood was I'm gonna graduate film school Universal Studios will be calling me be like hey man you want to <laughs> come you want to come direct this movie for us yeah and so that was the uh, naive part of my mind thinking so of course Five years goes by and none of that has happened. And during that time, I got married and we had started doing the kids' show, the Tea Time with Taylor thing. And so Taylor and I were like, okay, reality is that we are going to have to make our own movie. And that's when we started formulating sightings. Through family connections, we knew we had access to this 200-acre ranch outside of Austin. And so I thought, okay, well, let's write a script that mostly takes place on this property so we know where we're shooting. We can do kind of a micro-budget film and so that's that's what kicked off the the story development process. Because I didn't have the idea for sightings first. I had the location first and then started coming up with ideas that could be set there. And, I mean, we threw around several different things. I mean, at one point we talked about just making a traditional ghost story. We even had an idea for, like, this weird dramedy story thing. I mean, it, it, there were some bizarre ideas we, we <laughs> threw against the wall. The way sightings came about is... Again, I-, I knew also that I wanted to make a movie that emulated some of the films I loved. Some of the ones we already mentioned, like Jurassic Park, uh, Signs, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the movie Super 8, I was a huge fan of. So like some of those movies were circulating in my head, and I wanted to do something in that territory. And a buddy of mine sent me this news clip from a guy in North Carolina I grew up in North Carolina, by the way. I didn't mention that earlier. So this dude in the backwoods had called the police because he'd claim to see a Sasquatch on hmm. his property. And this guy was just such an intriguing character, just a unique individual, that it sparked my interest in who is he, what's his family like? And it got me interested in not just the subject matter of Sasquatch, but this character that claims to have seen this thing. So I was thinking about that, and I thought... I can't make a movie about Bigfoot. I mean, that just, it feels cheesy. It's been done before. Like, there's too many stories already on this subject. So I was like, I I, I I, don't know. I don't, I'm not feeling it. But then as I continued to explore the subject, I came across a theory about the origins of Bigfoot and where this creature comes from how long they've been around, stuff like that. Hmm. And without giving any spoilers of the movie away, this approach to the theories behind where Bigfoot comes from really sparked my interest because I was like, okay, this is something I've never heard of before. There's people out here who actually believe this, so they'll at least want to see the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is at least a unique take on an old subject. I really latched on to this idea of a dad in this family who is a skeptic of the paranormal and through the course of these extraordinary events becomes a believer in them. I felt like that was something that was compelling for me. And then on top of that, the story's really about the relationship of this family and how they are all kind of estranged. And as a result of this event on their property, they have to overcome their interpersonal conflict in order to survive these horrific occurrences. So all of that combined, I was like, okay, I can write this. This is good. It took me about three months to write the first draft. I usually was writing from like 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., and then I had my full time job, and then the nights and weekends we were filming and editing Tea Time with Taylor. So, like that nice. was a period of time that was like really overwhelming, which all of that also contributed to the conversation of maybe we should get out of LA. I'd have a little <laughs> yeah. bit more time to uh, do what we're trying to do. And and we also knew to go make this movie, we were gonna have to go raise financing, and I was gonna need time to take meetings with potential investors and all that kind of stuff.
0: Once you had the script written, I think that's where my knowledge base stops in terms of like, okay, you got to secure financing and you got to like assemble a good crew and find locations and you know, yada, 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 all those things that you need to do. But I have no idea how to do those things. So how did you take your script and then build a film independently of a studio system?
1: When I was working full time, one of the companies I worked for happened to be a film financing company. I started as a production assistant and eventually became like an assistant office manager. And so they were an independent company that financed movies through private equity. And so they partnered with individuals who wanted to invest in film and they helped package movies to do that. Just from that experience, I was able to see kind of the, the way to present projects to potential investors and how to have those conversations with them. So I, I got a little bit of an education from that experience. That definitely gave me a little bit of confidence to be able to go out and communicate in a way that made me trustworthy, Mm -hmm. I guess, on how to manage a whole project and put a budget together and all those kind of things. It also gave me the knowledge of like, okay, from a paperwork standpoint, what kind of legal structures do you have to have in place? And what kind of entity do you have to register in order to be able to raise financing legally? Because there's a lot of security laws about who you can and can't raise funding from and whether or not they can be active or passive investors and all that kind of stuff. We raised about $8,000 on Kickstarter at the beginning to essentially fund the development process and the fundraising process. Cause we mm. use those funds to hire an attorney. We use those funds to file with like the securities and exchange commission so that we could raise private equity. Um, we use those funds to put together a business plan that really broke down the team involved in the production of the movie. It broke down the business model of how we are going to release the film and how that revenue is going to flow back to the investors we put together projections based on other small ultra low budget projects and what they generated and you know what we could potentially generate and stuff like that so We had to get those development funds because it cost money to raise money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And honestly, when we started the process of fundraising, we were like, okay, it's going to take us about 10 months to get all the funding in place. But it actually took us about two years. Oh, wow. We got our first investors in March of 2013. And our last investor came on board, giving us the last funds we needed in January of 2015.
0: Wow. That's a long haul, man.
1: Yeah. And it was discouraging. I mean, it, it was hard because we went through like those first few months of fundraising and like we get an investor, $5,000, $10,000. And it was like momentum, exciting. And then we kind of hit a wall because we had kind of reached our first layer of resources and contacts of people that could be potentials. The process that I went through to raise the money, I opened up a spreadsheet. I put every single person I know on that spreadsheet. Facebook friends, people in my cell phone, everybody. And I literally just went from the top of that list and started making my way down and said, hey, we're making a movie. We're trying to raise this amount of money. We're shooting in Texas. We've got a script. We're putting a cast and crew together. Do you or anyone you know are they in a position to consider this as a business opportunity? So I just slowly chipped away at that list, and some people said, nah, you know, I, I can't help you, or no, I don't have it. But some said, yeah, I got an uncle who is in the oil business that might look at that. And so, you know, slowly I got the opportunity to pitch it to people and just kind of chip away at it. Wow. But, yeah, it took two years to do that. That's a long lift, man. Yeah. But it was like, it's either that or not make a movie. <laughs> so after all of that that i mean that
0: amount of pre-planning and organization and coordination and cold calling and pitching and assembling a you know a package that you can sell after all of that you finally get into the production process can you tell me a little bit about what that was like and then like how long did you shoot that kind of thing
1: so that was the fun stuff. We got the funding in January of 2015, the last bit of investment money. And then we were in production in May. So, I mean, once we had all the money, it was just like, all right, let's hire the crew. Let's hire the cast. Let's book the gear. Let's go. And our pre-production period was pretty quick. We got to Austin. It was a 16-day shoot over the course of three weeks because we had days off and stuff. And shooting a ultra-low-budget project in Texas out in the middle of nature was... Challenging. I mean, part of the thing I love about movies is just the process of collaboration. I mean, the the fact that people, adult humans, all get together and play pretend and film it is awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the the idea that we do this is amazing to me so like just getting on the ranch for the first time and having the whole crew out there some of our main cast members came out there and we had like a big grill out the night before we started that was so exciting and fun on the first day we got behind schedule and it's the silliest thing because in the movie there's this scene where Tom, the lead character, is got a map on the wall and it's like the classic scene of like connecting all the dots. He's like running pieces of yarn with photos and everything on this map. And you would have never thought that this would have been such a complicated thing because the map wouldn't stay on the wall. the <laughs> the yarn wouldn't like go like it, we had like two short, pieces of yarn so we had to cut yarn again and then it wouldn't like the yarn wouldn't stay the photos were falling off i mean this this sequence was so <laughs> annoying to shoot so it immediately put us behind schedule to the point where like we had while we were filming that scene Taylor, my wife who plays one of the, the lead characters while we're filming this scene she's getting this whole makeup thing done because she gets attacked in the woods and that was the scene we were filming next but we got pushed behind so we ran out of daylight so she literally had this whole makeup thing done That they just, we had to go, okay, now go back to normal. Oh, man. So that's day one. And then, uh, like, day three, it started to rain and continued to rain off and on the rest of the shoot. Mm. And, I mean, when we went into production, we thought our problem was going to be that everyone's going to be dehydrated. It's going to be so hot in the Texas sun. So we had tons of sunscreen and bug spray and, like, all of those things we were prepared for. But you would not have associated rain With being one of the potential issues in the middle of texas but Mm. may of 2015 when we filmed was actually uh, the state of texas saw the highest amount of precipitation in the history of texas up till that point oh my god (laughs) the month that we're trying to film a movie outside so that was a huge challenge because basically we'd show up on set and we'd look at the satellite and we're like okay it's supposed to rain So now everything we were gonna film outside, we're filming inside. I hope you memorized all your lines because now you're filming these scenes. It certainly creates pressure for everyone and is a challenge to juggle those things because we'd be filming a scene inside and then the clouds would part. And we'd go, okay, let's go film outside while we can. And we'd go film a scene or two, you know, or whatever, while we could get some daylight. And then we'd have to go back inside. So it was a big juggling act, but everyone persevered and and made it happen. And, I mean, there were lots of other things we faced. I mean, our grip truck got stuck in the mud out in the middle of a field. So, like, (laughs) at one point, we had to pull all the gear out of the truck and put it in little golf carts to move back up to the house. I mean, half of our cast and crew got attacked by chiggers. Um, Which are these little tiny red bugs in Texas. So people were having breakouts on their ankles and stuff. I mean, it was, there was a lot of uh, difficulties. We, some struggles, man. Yes, yeah.
0: Are you ready for a lightning round?
1: (sighs) Yeah. Okay, here's a question though. Am I just giving like the first answer or can I give like justification for my answers or is it just like give the answer and you're moving on?
0: You know, I want you to follow your heart on that. But if you, <laughs> okay. if you feel the need to justify it, by all means.
1: Well, it's, it, here, here's why I asked that. It's not so much justification. It's like I find that the answers are more interesting when there's a
0: story. It walks that line, you know? <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. All right, here we go. Texting or talking? Talking. Sweet or savory? Savory. Are you a morning person or a night person?
1: I am a night person who wants to be a morning person. I respect morning people, and I think that I could be a much more productive person if I was a morning person, but it's so hard. All of my children, by the way, are morning people, so <laughs> <this is laughs> so they're forcing me, they're forcing me. What is the last movie you watched? I watched—this is gonna. This is funny because this is an older movie—I watched Traffic. Ooh. This is something that's old-fashioned. I pulled a DVD Whoa. off the shelf and put a disc in the DVD player to watch Traffic. Okay,
0: Grandpa. <laughs> what is the last TV show you watched?
1: So I'm in the middle of watching The Newsroom. Uh, we just started season two. Before that, the show that I actually completed, though, I finished watching all three seasons of True Detective.
0: On a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you at bowling?
1: I'm like a 7 and a half. That little half is because I have skills, but it's still fun.
0: (laughs) Would you rather have super strength or super speed?
1: Super speed.
0: Do you prefer action or drama? Action. Is Baby Yoda cute? Yes. You put a lot of thought into that. How many spritzes of cologne is appropriate?
1: 3. In very particular places, you do the wrist, you rub the wrist together, you do the neck, and then you do like just the air that kind of just washes the rest of it. And then you
0: walk through the cloud. Yeah. Yep. Would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness?
1: I used to be a permission man. My wife is a forgiveness person, and she's kind of uh converting you. me in that direction. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Tacos or pizza? Pizza. Is Stranger Things overrated?
1: No. I remember seeing the trailer for season one, and when the trailer ended, I turned to Taylor and I said, I want to have made that. Cilantro, good or bad? Wonderful. What tree is best? Um, an apple tree, because it also produces life. On a scale of one to ten, how good are you at poker? Zero. (laughs) I don't even think I know how to play poker. What is the nerdiest thing about you? I like magic tricks. Ooh. People ask me, you know, what's what's kind of your backup plan if you can't make it as a filmmaker? And I have two responses. My my first backup plan is to be a professional drummer. My next backup plan is to be a magician. Nice. All three of those filmmaker, drummer, magician very stable career choices that I've got lined up there for myself. <laughs> yeah.
0: can't go wrong with any one of those yeah
1: you know what I've discovered though I've asked myself why are those three like what what is consistent about those three that resonate with me and it's that they're all forms of entertaining people and I find that that's one of the things I love to do is entertain bring people joy that kind of thing We finished the film not having a distributor in place. Being a first-time filmmaker, it's hard to really get anybody on that side of the process on board mm-hmm. when I have no track record, I have nothing to show. I mean, We did a little bit of outreach during the fundraising and pre-production side of things just to gauge interest or, or that kind of stuff, and pretty much everyone said, let us know when you have a movie to watch. And so now that the movie was done, we essentially did that. I kind of went back to creating a spreadsheet I put a bunch of distributors on the spreadsheet, and using IMDb Pro, I figured out who's in charge of acquisitions, what's their contact information. Uh, Another thing I did, I actually went into Walmart and was pulling DVDs off the shelf in Walmart that are maybe a similar genre or similar scale project, And I was just looking at the back like, okay, who's the distributor and like making notes of like who put these movies out there and put those on my list, too. And so we just kind of knocked down the list that way of sending screeners, getting feedback. And and honestly, at the top of the list, we had bigger companies like Universal and, you know, these big companies, Lionsgate, you know, was up there. And uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised at how many of those companies actually responded and actually watched the movie. And considered it. Um, and most of the feedback we got was pretty positive in re- in regards to the film itself. But we didn't have huge stars in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lower budget production. So like some of those elements were really what held them back. So we kind of went down the list, started with the big A-list distributors and, and moved down from there. After contacting a bunch of people, we ended up getting offers, I think, from like three or four distributors And really just in having conversations with the team at the distribution company, doing some follow-up work with other producers who have worked with those distributors and getting their feedback is really what led us to partner with High Octane Pictures, who ended up releasing the film in the U.S., and then they also represented the film for international distribution as well.
0: So coming out of that project, can you think of any like major lessons that you learned or like how would you shape your approach to the next feature film?
1: There's a lot of things we'll do differently at each stage of the process from production, even, you know, in the financing pre-production part of it. One thing I've discovered in the distribution process is the closer you can be to the end consumer, the better you're positioned to be successful in producing independent film. Hmm. Because anytime there's more layers, there's more percentages being deducted from the revenue. The other thing I've learned is how important the marketing and promotion of the release is. For a couple reasons. One, there's just so many movies. I mean, there's so much to watch. So the only way to stand out is to drive awareness, make people aware of your film. You know it's funny, something you hear a lot when you're studying independent film distribution is you're always told to make sure there's an expense cap of some kind on your deal with the distributor, because otherwise they'll just spend all sorts of money and you'll never recoup. But I think even equally important as that is having a spend obligation. Like if your expense cap is 15 grand or 20 grand, we want you to actually spend 20 grand on mm-hmm. marketing.
0: With all of the challenges that you've mentioned and all of the hurdles to getting through to the finish line, like why this profession? What drives you to make films and entertainment?
1: Oh, goodness, there's so many things I, I love about it. One, I'm just fascinated by the process. Movie making is one of the few art forms that kind of encompasses all the different art forms. You've got literature. Represented with the writing process, you know, with costuming, costumes and wardrobes and fashion, you've got artwork. If you think of like the lighting and the production design and and then music, performance art, like all these things are coming together into one medium. Mm -hmm. And then I think in a spiritual way, storytelling is an ancient tradition that goes back to the beginning of mankind and so tapping into that way of conveying ideas, shaping thought and conversation, we've done that throughout history through stories. You can communicate an idea through a story that sometimes doesn't resonate just by giving people information. Sure, yeah. That to me is very exciting as well, is one of the basic elements that make us human is that we create myths and stories and legends and these things that get passed down through folklore and all that kind of stuff. So being able to participate in that, I think, connects me with the human species.
0: What does creativity mean to you?
1: Oh, man, this is I'm trying not to sound so like heady.
0: Please do. Like it's <laughs> it's such a unique question because I think it can be interpreted so many different ways and it can mean so many different things to different people. So I'm interested in in what it instills in you. Like bring me that heady stuff.
1: Well, okay. So when you first asked the question, the first thing that popped into my head was my children doing doodles and coloring pages that they present to me as their most prized work. The technical skill is not at the level of an adult who would color or paint, but it was an expression for them at the skill level they're at, and they put something out there for someone else to observe. I think creativity is taking your own skills and abilities and putting them to use for other people to witness. You can be creative in an isolated sense, but I think the ultimate form of creativity is when other people can observe it. That involves vulnerability, that involves potential critique, but I think part of the joy of creating is getting to share it.
0: over a decade ago, when he and I were both starting out in Los Angeles. And one thing I admired about him then, and admire about him still, is his focus and clarity. He wanted to be a filmmaker, so he became a filmmaker. Of course, there's a lot more to it. Filmmaking is objectively a lofty goal. It requires balancing casts and crews and investors and studios, securing locations and equipment and people to run both. It takes money and lots of it. It takes jumping through legal and financial hoops, and on and on and on. When I was fresh out of film school and new to LA, I didn't have a clue how to do or get any of that. So I didn't. I said, I want to be a filmmaker, but I had excuses, and to be fair, they're not totally unreasonable ones. Without experience, all that stuff just looks like a big jumble of question marks. Except where I saw excuses to wait and stall, Dallas saw excuses to learn and do. I believe that's because he remains consistent and committed to his filmmaking goals. Having a clear goal is more powerful than all the things you don't know how to do yet. Because when you're focused on the end game, everything in between gets put into perspective. That jumble of question marks will eventually fall into a to-do list. And like any to-do list, the only way to finish is to start. This podcast and its music are mixed and composed by me, Aaron Milas. Please do take a moment to rate and review. Every rating helps, and I love hearing feedback from you. You can learn more about me and my guests at createdby-podcast.com. Be sure to follow Created By on social. You can find that information and more in the episode description. A few weeks ago, I told you about that feature rewrite I'm working on. I'd been trapped around page 74 for some time, and I vowed to give outlining a shot. I'm happy to provide an update on that. I've hammered out 20 pages since then, and I'm closing in on the final scenes. So, yeah, I guess outlining really does help. Who knew? Thank you again for tuning in, and a big thanks again to Dallas for joining me. Until next week, I'm Aaron Milas. Thanks for listening.